The following podcast was recorded on Tuesday, January 19th, featuring Jim Bianco of Bianco Research and Ben Breitholtz of Arbor Data Science. To hear the podcast in real time, you can sign up for a free trial at biancoresearch.com or arborresearch.com or by emailing Gus Handler directly at gus.handler at arborresearch.com. You can also call Arbor Research and Trading at 1-800-606-1872. Thanks for your time and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Talking Data, which is our weekly series of podcasts in which we highlight pertinent bond and equity market themes. I am your host, Kristen Radish of Arbor Research and Trading. Our presenters today are Jim Bianco of Bianco Research and Ben Breitholtz of Arbor Data Science. Today, we will be discussing fiat and cryptocurrencies. Going into the new year, there's been a lot of discussion about the strength of the dollar. Ben, we're going to get started with you. What is the state of the dollar against fiat currencies and what issues should investors be aware of? So the dollar, you know, broad index is down, you know, 13, 14% from its peak, uh, which is not too different from past cycles that we've seen in terms of its slide. Uh, I think this time around, uh, what I point to to the most is that we've seen uh, really two things kind of happen. One, the economy has started to get better on the global side. So the demand for the dollar as a flight to safety has been diminished. But uh, more importantly, uh, I'm watching the shadow rates between the ECB and other central banks relative to the Federal Reserve. And what shadow rates are, are effectively the central bank target rates accounting for the expanding balance sheets and bond purchases. So as just more bond purchases, if we're at, a, at zero to 25 basis points for the Fed funds target rate, it's gonna take it down to negative territory. In this case, it's, you know, it's down around negative 230, 250 basis points. Since October, 2019, at 544 basis points, the shadow rate differential between the Federal Reserve and the US uh, I said the Federal Reserve and the ECB was at its peak, uh, you know, again, 544 basis points. It's cratered down to about 36 basis points at this moment uh, right now. And if you look at from really 2013 to now, from the taper tantrum to now, the share rate differentials really steered and led the dollar by anywhere but by three to six months. So right now, it looks like the Fed could be the first to turn hawkish. I know that's kind of maybe down the road, more than a year down the road. But with that indication that maybe things get a little more hawkish, we saw it with Bostic, um, a little bit with Powell, not so much uh, last week. That means that the shadow rate differential could widen. Um, and I think as will not deteriorate or fall further than it has now, which means the dollar, which you have um, large speculators in the futures community, <laughs> extremely bearish. We're at about negative 40% on uh, terms of total open interest on uh, dollar futures. Uh, I think that that oversold condition will finally work itself out. We'll get a nice little base here and potentially see the dollar rally um, going forward. Yeah, uh, one quick thing to um, correct, Ben. It's not that the Fed's going to turn hawkish. It's going to be that they'll turn slightly less uber dovish, which is the definition of hawkish in yes. 2021 right now uh, <laughs> at this point. Because, like you said, um, everybody's shadow rate, their rate plus the uh, the the uh, central bank uh, balance sheet expansion, they're all deeply negative right now. So there is no hawkishness uh, out there in the market. But I do want to come back to something else Ben mentioned too, and that is is that the um, 
that there's less of a flight to quality. I do think that part of not, you know, it's not a two-factor model. It's not one thing explains the dollar, but part of what also explains the dollar is kind of the hope, greed, and fear in financial markets. In March, when everybody's worried that financial markets were teetering, the dollar had tremendous strength. I don't know what's going on. The world looks kind of dicey. Run into the safest currency you can. But then starting in April, when everything looked good and the and and the concern was, where do I make the most amount of money? Let's get out of the stodgy old dollar and let's get in the riskier stuff. So you've seen the dollar um, you know, decline. And if you look at it relatively, and there's a chart of it I, I posted of developed country uh, currencies, which is the DXY, the Dixie to dollar index, and the MSCI emerging markets index of currency, emerging market currency index. Emerging markets have on balance done better than developed markets over the last couple of years. And I think part of the reason is, well, when everything is safe, we're looking for return and you're going to get return in the riskier aspects of markets. And that's why you run towards those. When everything looks dicey, you seek safety and that would be more developed countries. And then at the top of the apex would probably be the uh, reserve currency. Well, that, that also gets to, I mean, a fitting in that is flows. So, you know, what's fueling this is we've seen really since maybe October or so, the incredible amount of inflows into emerging market, uh, both fixed income and equities, and then also these thematic trades. So again, kind of going after some of this riskier ends of the spectrum. The question now is, on a relative basis, are those flows, you know, overdone? In certain cases, we're starting to see six, seven, eight standard deviation events in some of these funds in terms of flows, not in incorporating the returns. And so that's why it's kind of like, okay, is this the point at which this is, this, what uh, Jim is talking about, EM outperforming by so much relative you know, to develops to the dollar? Um, is that gonna finally reach its peak? Um, it seems like we could potentially be on, on the cusp of that, um, uh, but only time will tell. Yeah. And the last thing I'd mention about the dollar is <clears throat> for purposes of this discussion, we're talking about the dollar as a monolith going up or down. And you can do that and there's nothing wrong with that. But when you start drilling down a little bit deeper, what's it doing against the euro? What's it doing against the yen? What's it doing against the yuan? What's it doing against the Canadian dollar? You then start to get some divergences. And a lot of those regional divergences come into relatively, you know, relative. Um, interest rate differentials and um, economic uh, differentials. But overwhelming that I do think is what Ben was talking about is the shadow rate differentials and the hope and greed and fear speculation as to whether or not you wanna be in or out of the dollar. Remember, it is still the reserve currency. And, and so therefore it's kind of like the star, uh, it's the sun of the solar system for everything else. And, so it will remain that way. And so it's fair enough to continue to talk about the dollar as opposed to the individual currencies. Yeah. Jim, what, let's what, turn, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Let's, let's turn over to cryptos if we could next. Um, how real are they? And what issues do we need to consider with cryptos? Um, I've got a chart in the uh, handout that shows the um, percentage of reserve currencies held <clears throat> by central banks and private banks. And about two thirds of it is the dollar and about a quarter of it is the euro and everything else is kind of on the bottom. Um, people have asked, when is the dollar gonna lose its reserve currency status? And the answer is, 
once something comes along that can challenge it. And quick, that's not the euro. The euro has had its chance. It's probably not going to be the currency that's going to challenge it. It's certainly not going to be the yuan. Um, it's not even a convertible currency at this point. Um, it means that you can't convert it uh, you know, into whatever currency you want without having expressed permission of the government in order to do it, or they'll set the rate at which you could do it as opposed to the market freely setting, uh, setting the rate. So I am of the opinion that someday when the dollar loses its reserve currency status, it will be to a digital currency, most likely a cryptocurrency. Now, I want to draw a distinction here between a central bank digital currency and a cryptocurrency. Central bank digital currencies, they are very easy to implement. <clears throat> the Fed could make Fed dollar tomorrow if they wanted to. Next to impossible, I mean, for, fairly easy to create. Next to impossible to implement. Now, why do I say next to impossible to implement? Because for a central bank to create a digital currency, they need to have a platform. Okay, so they create a digital dollar. Okay, how do you use it? Well, you have to have an account with the central bank. You'd actually have a Federal Reserve account and you'd have your digital dollars in there. Oh, great. Then I don't need an account at JP Morgan or Citi or Wells Fargo. And that's why everybody, that's why the banking system is totally against it. Uh, uh, the Fed has floated the idea, well, we'll create a digital currency and then the application will be you have to go to JP Morgan or Wells or Citi or Bank of America in order to get an account to use it. Well, then what's the point? Uh, at that, it hasn't really changed anything. So I think that a cryptocurrency is more likely to take over. Now I've used on this podcast and other places, I've used the analogy of search engines. Uh, early on in the 90s, we got AltaVista, we got Lycos, it's the very first search engines, and they went bankrupt. And then we got Yahoo, and it was one of the fastest companies to join the S&P 500 and on balance was very successful. Then we got Google and everything changed. Um, I don't know if Bitcoin and Ethereum and the rest are at the Alta Vista Lyco stage at which they're probably gonna die off and some other crypto that's gonna be the Google of cryptos is still to come, or if they are if they are of ultimately going to be the Google of cryptos. But I do think we're on this path I don't know if it's going to take two years or 10 years or something along those lines that we're going to see some kind of adoption of a global currency along the way. By the way, it could still be a Bitcoin or Ethereum because they do what's called forks where they basically everybody gets together and agrees to change the programming of the cryptocurrency so they could fork it enough to actually fundamentally change it into something else. And in other words, and, and then it could become the crypto. Last thought for you about cryptos. Um, the last place it's going to get adopted is going to be the United States. It's going to be forced on the U.S. by everybody else. If you look at the develop, developed world or developing world, especially say Africa, and you look at what's going on, in, and let's take Kenya for an example. Um, they never had landlines. They've never had a very good banking system in Kenya. So when cell phones came, there was a widespread adoption of cell phones out of Kenya. M-Pesa came about. M-Pesa is a program that Kenyans can use to, to text money back and forth to each other. And they do it all the time. By the way, if you ever find whatever happened to my iPhone 6 that I got rid of two years ago and traded it in for an iPhone 11, 
It's probably in Kenya somewhere uh, as well. And they've got cell phone adoption as almost as deep as the United States, and they're more into electronic payments than anybody else. In fact, the U.S. lags everybody else when it comes to electronic payments. So you go to the third world and you say, here's a cryptocurrency that they all agree can be accepted as money. They're ready to go to start just texting money back and forth to each other. It will take over in the third world. It will take over, if you will, I know it doesn't really exist in the second world. It will go everywhere. Places like the United States and the Eurozone will be screaming and yelling that it's illegal and that it's illicit material and we have to regulate it. And it'll just run them over. That will be the last place to adopt it. So I think it starts in the third world and it comes to us last. It's not going to come from us to them because they're ready for it. They're just looking for the right instrument. We are not quite, uh, we don't want it because we've got all the benefits of being the reserve currency and that doesn't suit our interests. But just like Uber, it might just be forced on them as well. Ben, I'm gonna tease you for a question. Um, this latest run up in uh, the cryptos to new highs, and I'm not gonna get into the parlor game and I know you don't want to either, or how high are they gonna go? Um, how much of this is retail versus institutional? Yeah, well, you brought up a good point in, in recent days. That's something we've done with Google search activity, looking at Bitcoin, Ethereum, cryptos, and so on. And what's pretty wild is that the, the retail interest um, is not the same. Uh, it's much, much lower than it was, for example, during the run-up in December of 2017, or even into July, September of 2019. We saw these spikes and then ultimately peaks in Bitcoin. Um, and other cryptocurrencies. So it's possible there could be more of an institutional adoption and discussion about cryptocurrency uh, in that it's not doesn't seem to be purely retail led. Uh, what's interesting too is the dynamics that might be fueling uh, Bitcoin are different now, at least this year, this year and last year than in prior episodes. So we've done a lot of modeling of Bitcoin and a lot of those models broke, <laughs> you know, uh, really since March or April. Um, uh, with the uh, ongoing of the pandemic. Uh, to me, that means that something's uh, fundamentally changing within the, the cryptocurrency realm. And it might be, the, again, this adoption on the institutional side um, and really giving it maybe some real credence. Uh, previously, one of the big drivers was, a, was simply bond volatility, uh, treasury volatility, and even market volatility in general. You could, you could price out Bitcoin pretty effectively uh, on a day-to-day -day basis and have a fair value model just doing that. And it worked well to trade the ranges and trade the residuals and so on. But again, that's completely broken down. So what is driving Bitcoin right now? And we can all come up with 10 million different things. But I think it, uh, the big thing is potentially the adoption and the lack of just pure retail focus. Um, it's When things get confusing, that usually means you have institutional players arbing and figuring things out and, and trading. Um, that's typically what happens with financial markets. It gets harder. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. We have one little last uh, thought for you. Um, if you're looking for a way to play a cryptocurrency, uh, Coinbase, which is the largest, if you will, brokerage account that you, brokerage firm that traffics in cryptocurrencies in the United States, has filed to go with an IPO sometime later this year. And the old adage, like during the gold rush, you didn't want to be panning for gold. You want to be the person that was selling the picks and the shovels. Well, the picks and the shovels in this space is, is going to be something like Coinbase. I suspect that when it does come public, it, everybody's going to say, yeah, that's a great idea. And wait till you see the unbelievable valuation you're going to have to pay for. It. <laughs> it's well so it ain't going to be cheap, 
But if you're looking for an idea of how to play it other than just naked speculation on whether or not the cryptos go up or down, Coinbase later this year might be something worth looking at. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Ben, for your thoughts today. And thank you to our audience for joining us. As a reminder, Arbor Research and Trading is an institutional research and brokerage firm. Our two most prominent offerings are Bianco Research and Arbor Data Science. For further information on Arbor Research, Bianco Research, and Arbor Data Science, please contact Gus Handler at gushandler.arborresearch.com. Thanks and have a great day.